0: Karen, hello Karen. Um, have you ever heard of the author H.P. Lovecraft? No. if I told you he was a horror writer? Does that, that doesn't jog anything? No. H.G. H.P. Lovecraft? No.
1: H.P.P.Craft.com. Welcome
0: to the H.P. Lovecraft literary podcast. We are covering the Necronomicon in Providence.
2: I'm Chad Pfeiffer.
0: Oh, I'm Chris Lackey.
2: Did you forget who you were?
0: No, I know who I am. I just didn't remember if I said it or not.
2: (laughs) Well, our Kickstarter that we ran a few months ago was just raising money for us to get out there and go to this convention, the Necronomicon in Providence. And uh, part of the payoff was that we'd produce this show.
0: This is something that we felt like we really wanted to do because we wanted folks to be able to sort of share the experience.
2: Now, the Necronomicon is a book that Lovecraft created that's not a real book. But it was a really clever way to title the convention because it's the Necronomicon. Con.
0: C-O-N as in short for convention.
2: Yeah, it took place just a couple of weeks ago, August 22nd through 25th, 2013. And I really want to thank Niels Hobbs, who was the main organizer. He contacted us and said, would you like to do the live show out here? We did like it and we liked the convention. And I really want to thank the city of Providence because, gosh, what a great place.
0: I want to thank our backers because, unfortunately, this is kind of a new endeavor. There hasn't been an Economicon, I think, for over 10 years, maybe, maybe longer. And Niels was like, well, we don't really have the money to fly you guys out here to do the show and so we're like well let's see if there's interest let's do a kickstarter we did there was we did it
2: thank you to everybody who backed that kickstarter because we had an absolutely wonderful time i want to thank our partners in the whole endeavor andrew lehman yeah who is our reader at the live show two of our friends that came out on their own expense Lyle Erickson, who lives in Des Moines and we grew up with, came out and did our music for the show. You're going to hear him in this show. And also Christopher Barnes, Kip Barnes, who I know from out here in Los Angeles, who took photographs the whole time and was just a great guy to hang out with and put up with us because we gave him a really hard time. We really did. (laughs) Uh, thanks, thanks, guys. We released the live show for our backers. And at some point, we're going to do that for everybody, right?
0: Yeah, probably in October.
2: The live show, we covered the Sonnet series called Fungi from Goth. And then we did a little Q&A at the end. And I think we're going to release that as a separate thing. Yeah, just as a little bonus. There were a couple of stretch goals that we still haven't satisfied. There's some roundtable discussions.
0: Yes. And this month, we're going to be getting to all those people that contributed to that and scheduling our roundtable discussion.
2: Now, I'm really excited about Beowulf. We're going to do this, Chris and Chad go back to school show. I don't know if that's going to be the title of it, but that's kind of our pilot. We've done this for almost five years now. Yeah, We've created a format that is about discussing literature and it seems like people like it. We're yeah. going to continue to do the weird tales because horror is an obsession for us, but I would love to talk about all kinds of literature. So yep. after we produce that show, we're going to see how it's received. And then I think we're going to fundraise to try and do a whole season of classic canon literature. Yeah, I'm really excited about getting into that endeavor. Now, our purpose for today's show is to cover the convention. We obviously cannot cover it
0: all. No, we're not going to even try to cover it all. What we did when we were at the convention is we brought our recording equipment with us and when we thought of it, turned it on, try to get as much coverage as we could. We're going to take the highlights of those conversations and string them together in a narrative. So maybe it will paint a picture for you of how it was to go to this convention.
2: Necronomicon Providence, it had been funded. We were going to fly out there. I'm in Los Angeles. You're in Northern England. We both left home. At the beginning of the show, there was that little interview with you and this woman Karen yeah Where, was that at the airport or was that on the plane
0: that was on the plane and she said something nice to me like oh excuse me and she just seemed approachable and I, I go you know would you mind if I recorded you because I know this is strange I do a podcast about H.P. Lovecraft and she's like what and I'm like okay
2: definitely illustrates the fact that we were leaving the normal world uh, but you and I haven't seen each other for a while, so no. it was really great to run into you in well, we, Philadelphia. Yeah, we met. Not in, run into you. I mean, we knew that was going to Yeah,
0: yeah, we planned our flight so that we would be at Philadelphia in the same time and take the Philadelphia flight to Providence. Hey,
2: dude, what's <laughs> up, man? <laughs> hey.
0: hey. There hey. he is.
2: There he is.
0: There you go. What's up, man?
2: Did you have a good trip?
0: Yeah, it was a great flight. I gotta say, it was, uh, it was good. I got my, my iPad, and I was... Uh, uh-huh. What
2: was I doing? Just I watching. guess now that you're in... Okay, thank you. thank you. Now that you're in the United States, there is no Necronomicon. What? This was all just an elaborate ruse to get oh, you out of the country. Says... This isn't a convention, this is a rescue mission.
0: Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of excited. Yeah? Yeah. Except so every time I hear uh, a child cry, I think it's Al.
2: Yeah, how you doing with that, man? Pretty tough. It's got to be weird. Yeah. I'm sorry that you can never go back there, too. That's the worst part of this whole What? The Wait a minute. I told you, this is a ruse. Oh, no. This is a rescue mission. I don't like this at all now. So, in our conversation, you talked about missing oh, your son.
0: I did. I missed him so much, and my wife as well. But
2: but that was your first time away, right?
0: It was, and I haven't, you know, I still haven't fully recovered. No, I've, I've totally recovered. He he didn't miss me at all. He was with, his, <laughs> he was with his, his mom and his grandma and his granddad, who love him to death, so he barely miss me it was rough and then when I got back I realized how much of a big deal it wasn't and now I'm okay with leaving him in fact I haven't seen him yeah in three you weeks. leave them
2: like stores now like yeah you just put them in a grocery store and go do stuff you want to do it doesn't even bother you, you know, right
0: no just put them in the car you know lock <laughs> lock the doors so nobody takes them obviously <laughs>
2: Well, it was great to see you, yeah, and uh, we had a quick flight from Philadelphia to Rhode Island, and then we got a cab, and the cab driver right away put us in the atmosphere.
0: Uh, he, he was a super funny guy, and he he kind of had cabby jokes, I don't know what you where they're sort of funny, but they're not really funny, and he's kind of trying to push the envelope a little bit to see how racy he can be with ya. you. Not know what racy, I
2: mean? racist. I mean, there were well, a couple of things he said I went, oh, this guy if we open the gate, I think he might
0: I know. Talk about his white supremacist group that he's Yeah, got going. he might yeah.
2: have some opinions But he was really funny and he was complaining about the city Because he said it's one of the most beautiful places You can go to, but the taxes are too high right? Yeah. He was really upset about that The funniest thing he said was he wanted to write a book About his own life called America, you made me, now deal with me And I thought That's wonderful, but the only people that have to deal with you Right now is us, because you're driving us Somewhere <laughs> But the bit I liked is he goes, uh, of course, I'm going to change the names of my ex-wives. I think there were a couple of them. I want to protect them. And we were kind of laughing about it. And he goes, I mean, of course, I'm going to publish their addresses (laughs) and their maiden names. (laughs) <laughs> we said we were going to the Baptist church and he laid into us all this information that Providence was settled by a guy who got kicked out of Massachusetts because mm-hmm. he was fighting for religious freedom. Right, yeah, Roger Williams. You would think that us being Lovecraft scholars would know this stuff already, but I honestly didn't know We much didn't
0: about it. know that at this point. This is all information we got after the fact that Roger Williams, he left the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1636 to found the Providence Plantation, which was kind of a revolution because he wanted to have religious freedom not just his own religious freedom, but religious freedom for anybody that came there.
2: Yeah, later when we listened to the keynote, it really surprised me. Williams was really the first guy in the world to establish government based on the separation of church and state and tolerance was very important to him. He wanted all belief systems to be tolerated. And he, at that time, felt that we should be dealing better with the Native Americans. That was a lot of his problem with the Massachusetts Bay Colony is that they thought, you know, we just show up. Yeah, this is our land now. And he thought, well, there's a whole culture here that we need to deal with. And the thing about him when I was doing later reading that blew me away, too, is he's the first abolitionist in North America. He really tried to organize an attempt to prohibit slavery in those 13 colonies. Yeah, it didn't work obviously i didn't <laughs> i don't mean to blow your mind now that's something that we we do know
0: but you know the, as a side have you watched that uh web series ask a slave no i've never heard of such oh that. dude you got to check it out it's this woman who worked on one of these plantation places where they recreate what it was like to live at the time the 1700s So Uh she's an actress working at this place, one of these colonial that tourists come to. So what Uh she did is she took a lot of the stupid questions that people asked her and then answered them in a video. It's funny, but it's also super insightful and it makes you think about a lot of things that you wouldn't necessarily think about when you would think about slavery. Like obviously it was bad, but it's bad in so many interesting ways.
2: Here's the thing, Chris. You shouldn't have told me that because now I want to stop talking to you and go watch that. (laughs) (laughs) We have a lot of things to talk about, man. Don't do that. (laughs) Sorry. He moved from the Bay Colony. He got kicked out, and he named the town Providence, meaning it was the providence of God that had got him to the site. Of course, I completely understand why he had that feeling, because boy, it's a beautiful city. Oh, a
0: it was city. so beautiful, man. The architecture, the hills, the everything about it. You know, when we flew in, I could we could see the bay, and we could see Newport, and it just it's just a beautiful part of the country.
2: Your parents came in. Your your mother just retired, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, she retired the uh, the weekend before uh, Friday was her last day, so she came in and they drove, her. My, my dad, my mom drove in because they wanted to see the live show. They're fans. Mm-hmm. Are they fans of yours? Well, yeah, of course, yeah. They've loved my artwork since I was five, so.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. The uh, <laughs> They came in and it was great to see them. I'm fans of theirs. That night, we were both obviously tired, but we got to have dinner with them and it was nice to catch up and then we were staying at the Omni just right there in downtown. Mm-hmm. And then the next day we got up and started walking around town with Kip and just kind yeah, of experiencing Providence.
0: Providence City Hall, we're standing out front, across the street actually from it. City Hall, that's where Joseph uh, no, that's where Charles Dexter Ward did all of his genealogical research or at least some of it in that's part correct.
2: was here at this location. In pursuit of antiquarian and genealogical data at the City Hall. Sweet. And it's an old building. It's a really old building.
0: But it's pretty clean around here. That's what's amazing. I don't see any um, any human feces or uh, <laughs> No. Articles of clothing, used condoms, nothing like that. It's it looks pretty good here, and it's a beautiful building. Lots of detailed stonework, and it looks like a Puritan fellow's. This is all the stuff that's head. close to us. Yeah, the Biltmore.
2: You already checked out, right?
0: Oh, we got to go in there, man. It's beautiful. Where is it? It's right there.
2: That's it. Yeah, that right building? there. Right oh, there. Okay. So let's check out the Biltmore. All right. Also from the case of Charles Dexter Ward.
0: Who stays at the Biltmore, or why did they go there in Charles Dexter I'm looking Ward?
2: Looking it up. At the high square where Broad, Waybosset, and Empire Streets join, he saw before and below him in the fire of sunset the pleasant, remembered houses and domes and steeples of the old town. That's where we are right now. And his head swam curiously as the vehicle rolled down to the terminal behind the Biltmore, bringing into view the great dome and soft, roof-pierced greenery of the ancient hill across the river and the tall colonial spire of the First Baptist Church. Sweet. That's where we're going to be later tonight. The campfire was, was right on, though. The, uh, Providence was settled by that dude that left Massachusetts colony for religious reasons started the first Baptist church here Uh and actually the city Beautiful recording that? I just dropped some knowledge on you. I did record it. Now, (laughs) while we were walking, the reason that I'm reading these excerpts, I don't have them memorized, it's because I was looking at an application called the Narcotic Atlas.
0: Which was one of our sponsors for the live show. Not that this is an ad, this is us just talking about an, an app that was really cool because we actually used it on this walking tour. To go, oh, if we go a few blocks over this way, there is this location that we can look at, and it has information about those locations and quotes from the writings that Lovecraft did or other writers.
2: And also, it had links to our shows. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, which, you know, is probably the reason we're so into it. The convention Convention. was
0: split up into two hotels. It was at the Biltmore and then they had a room over at the Hotel Providence as well. And that's where we did our live show.
2: Well, the Biltmore has been around forever. It was really cool. You'd already been there, but that morning we walked in and right away, I knew this was going to be so much fun because we started meeting folks in the Lovecraft community. Mike Davis from the Lovecraft E-zine was there. We've done a live chat with him. It was good to meet him. And And I I got
0: to meet Shane Ivey, who does The Unspeakable Oath, which is the role-playing game magazine. He also does the Delta Green role-playing game stuff, which I'm a big fan of. So when I met him, I was, I nerded that a little bit. I really didn't get the opportunity to actually sit and have a conversation with him, which happened so much much during this whole weekend.
2: I did get to spend some time with Brian Moore, and we know him from back when we worked on Call of Cthulhu. We shot a lot of your stuff uh, in his workshop. And he's a really talented sculptor. His toys are amazing. Brian used to live out here, and he's since moved to Iowa. When we walked into the Biltmore, I don't want to embarrass Brian, but I had the recorder running. I only include this because it made me laugh so hard about how much he sounds like Jeff Bridges and the Big Lebowski. (laughs) he you know, does he when he was talking to you
0: I, I saw you but I wouldn't serve that uh, one I don't, <laughs> I on. know, I don't know, mean, man. No, you made it from England no, I did where's his kid keep he's staying uh, back like oh you're no, no, you're no honestly no, he's not staying back him and his mother and her parents went to Cyprus Either way. so they're on a tropical you're just a globe-trotting family man. oh yeah wow
2: man we were so excited to be getting into the convention we couldn't hang out there too long because Andrew apparently had some kind of legal document he needed a mail. He was very interested in finding a post office.
0: Yeah. And we wanted to go out and check out Providence because Thursday was the only day that we were really going to be able to walk around and see everything.
2: My favorite part about this moment here is that now I know Kip. I hang out with him all the time out here. You don't know him that well. No. He, he just had finished that week a book he's been writing on uh, different microbreweries and beer bars in Southern California. So he was really stressed out. This was going to kind of be his vacation. He had a really nice camera that he'd been using to take photos for the book. And he said, hey, I'm going to come out. Can I take photos for your whole experience there? Yeah. And he did yeah. and they were really fantastic. But really quickly we just started giving him such a hard time. Here's here's when we were leaving the Biltmore you bossing him around.
0: Uh, <laughs> well, let's walk hey, over to the say, Fertilis. Go yeah. Go. yeah. yeah and find go? a ma- I know there's a post office on the way to the Fertilis. I, don't I, don't mean, I gotta mail this. It's, it's yeah, you do. It's a it's it's right. legal document. So, I have to mail it. Mail it. So, I'm so, gonna... Kip! Kip! We're moving. Sorry. Now I have to say I was I was actually I wasn't bossing him around. It was just we were trying to leave and we kept running into new people to talk to. And finally it was you and Andrew and myself and we were all out the door and Kip was talking to somebody. It's like, Kip, what is he doing talking to somebody?" And then I said that to him. I was like, "Kip, yeah, we got to go." Yeah, but it was go. funny
2: because then it caught on with everybody and yeah. pretty soon we were just all abusing him cuz Lehman was uh giving us a tour cuz Andrew's been to Providence obviously oh, yeah, before. A ton. He he knew way more about what was going on. So was really fun to have him as our guide on our walking, our initial walking tour.
0: All right. Come on, Kip. Oh. Kip, what are you doing? Oh my God.
2: <laughs> I wish Kip wasn't being so lazy and stupid.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Sorry. That's Kennedy Plaza. I don't know when it got the name Kennedy Plaza, but there's a beautiful old photograph of it from the 20s when of course none of this stuff was here. The Biltmore's been there I think the Biltmore went up sometime in the teens or the 20s. The Biltmore's been there a long time there used to be uh, in the pictures I've seen there are trolley lines like uh, surface and I don't know whether those tracks are still, oh, right, still right. under the pavement or it's all been torn up but my mom and dad said there's uh, a a oh, I saw them in the elevator Oh you did? Yeah
2: kicked your dad in the shin. That's what he did. I can't believe he was so mean to your dad. He kicked him in the shin.
0: I know. My dad's been talking about that for weeks now. He's like, what's up with that
2: Lehman guy?
0: (laughs) Didn't know you hung out with shin kickers.
2: Well, we uh, uh, we went from it didn't happen the Biltmore over to see the Fleur de Lis Building, which yep. I was excited to see it because well, yeah, that's your character Wilcox,
0: yeah. who you play, and that's where he lived.
2: Yeah, yeah, and the building's gorgeous. I can see why Lovecraft was offended by it, though. At the same time,
0: <laughs> it's a pretty garish uh, building, and I guess it hasn't changed at all. So it was. If you go onto our Facebook page, you'll see pictures of it. It's mm. bright yellow.
2: Hey, man, I thought it was cool. I, I
0: thought it was super I, cool. Yeah,
2: yeah. I don't. I don't. Have have taste so for me it's like wow all of this stuff looks great well next to that is the providence art club it occupies a few buildings next to it on that mm-hmm. hill and they were having an exhibit in line with the whole convention called ars necronomica and it had props from the call of cthulhu film and whisper in darkness a lot of the hblhs stuff was in there but it also had art from jason thompson jason mckittrick the joey zone which produced the excellent program for the convention event yeah there were a lot of artists that were showing there, beautiful stuff but from ars necronomica we kept watching walking up the hill, we were in the College Hill area and there were a lot of walking tours going around. The funny thing is, without even meaning to find it, we actually happened across the shunned house.
0: And I I recognized it because I remember it went on sale for a while ago and I saw a picture of it going, oh, wow, that's the shunned. I mean, I've seen it before in books, but it really stuck with me because I go, wow, I could actually, somebody could actually just buy the shunned house. And so that that was in the back of my head and we were walking by and go, I think that's the shunned house. I feel like that's Something. I want to say it's the shunned house, but it can't be the shunned house. Funny, it? it looks like that, though. It does. I thought it did. Uh, okay. You wouldn't think the shunned house would be buttercup yellow. But it is. I know. I've it <laughs> seen photos of it. it like We're
2: that. on <laughs> Benefit Street, having just looked at the shunned house, which was quite... It's yellow. What, what would you describe it? Did you say buttercup yellow? Buttercup yellow. Yeah. It's
1: a lovely house. But talk about the shutters.
2: And the shutters are on the inside. Yeah. They don't, they don't cover the outside of the house. So it's not like
0: it's keeping things out, but maybe keeping something in. That's what I'm saying. It's a, I'm just quoted Andrew on that. It's not original.
2: So we were having a great time that day. I don't I don't want to keep on this travelogue path. Let's get to the big event that night, which was the keynote address at the First Baptist Church, which was a beautiful building. Oh, yeah, that was right. Yeah, we, that's when our friend Lyle, he showed up. The keynote that night was sponsored by the convention, but also by Waterfire Providence or Ignite Providence. Waterfire is an event that they have, and then Ignite Providence, I think, is the organization that does it. I, I was really impressed. It's an amazing arts and entertainment organization.
0: They're really supportive of the arts in Providence. They, it's just a town for artists, and they put a lot of money into it, and they have a lot of different events. And uh, I know the Rhode Island School of Design is very reputable, and that is based out of mm-hmm. there. And I didn't get a chance to go there, but everybody said, you've got to go there because there's some amazing stuff. At,
2: at Right. We saw the buildings, but we didn't get a chance exactly. to look at yeah. a lot of the stuff that was there. But they uh, Ignite Providence produces these water fire events where they light 100 bonfires on the river, well, a river, I think there's three different rivers that pass through downtown Providence. Yeah, But it's a free event and the whole town comes out and you can walk the riverfront. It's just absolutely gorgeous. There's music and gondolas on the rivers and there's different art installations and food trucks. Think about 40,000 people go down to these that's, events. That's a lot of people. Yeah, but. it's a lot of people. You, you know, by total side note, I. The first, uh, that Thursday we were there, we were tired and everybody went to bed early, but I got online and started learning about Providence. I probably should have done this before we went there, but reading up. And what blew me away is that there were actually more people living in that city in Lovecraft's time than now. About 250,000 people there in 1930. And today there's about 175.
0: We were talking about that, how some of these smaller, big cities are depopulating.
2: In June, I was in St. Louis and I think they had, you know, something like 800,000 people lived there in the 30s. And there's only about three. 300,000 now. Yeah. And I don't know if that's people fleeing to the suburbs or if it's an economic issue. You always feel like things are denser and worse, you know, now. But it's funny to think that when Lovecraft was writing about the city, there were more people there than when we were there. Yeah. But anyway, let's get back to the topic of going of, to Yeah, I'm of, sorry. Go, It was a really kids. hot night. Now that, that it, church is it old. It was so.
0: definitely a New England August. It was very humid and very hot. And that mm-hmm. church was old. So... That means no air conditioning and <laughs> we really had it really felt like we were back in time. Yeah. In the nineteen twenties in this church and it was yeah, it was pretty awesome.
2: They had the great big pipe organ
0: They did. They played Toccata and Fugue. Pretty outstanding. It was a a woman named Gigi Mitchell Velasco.
2: Great musician. She played Toccata and Fugue and then did some singing as well. She sang, uh, I think it was like a Nordic chant or something that they use for Waterfire Providence. Really beautiful and and great to hear in that environment. Now, a lot of people gave speeches. The mayor's office had sent a representative.
0: The church historian Stanley Lemons was there.
2: To me, I was really affected by what he had to say. It was a really short speech that Lemons gave, but he spoke about, you know, Lovecraft had a Attended Sunday school in that church. So I'd like to play a short audio clip of mm-hmm. what he said. Sure. We didn't have the best recording devices while we were in there, so it might be a little muddied. But give a listen to this and then we'll kind of sum up what he said afterwards. Lovecraft
1: was raised a in this church. And it was, he says, the last service period of 1895, which is five years old. And he also says that he became an atheist by the time he was 8 years old. So by 1898, he was out of the place. But he was actually a Toronto, our folklore, who was kicked out of the Sunday school because he became enamored of the Romans and the Greeks, and came to think in favor of whether it Christians. And so he started He tended to start against the Christians. <laughs> so he was kicked out.
2: Essentially, what he was telling us was that Lovecraft, he left the church when he was five Uh and Became an atheist at eight, yeah. and the problem that he had is that he liked the Greek and Roman religions better than the Christian religion.
0: He thought it was much more interesting. And you know, it's pretty there's a lot of flavor in those in those myths, the, the Greek and Roman myths.
2: It, between the Christians and the Lions, Lovecraft sided with the Lions. Yeah. It was great to hear somebody who is clearly I mean, it's the first Baptist church, he is a member of the church. He had such an objective viewpoint about it. He wasn't upset that Lovecraft wasn't a member of the church. He was saying that Lovecraft had disagreements with the religion, but he always loved. The building, and he would continue to come back to the building and show it to different people. Pretty soon, S.D. Joshi, our foremost Lovecraft scholar in the world, who we steal from all the time, he came up to give the keynote address. What's good about Joshi is not
0: only does he know about Lovecraft, he knows what not to tell about Lovecraft. Like, cause that guy can talk about Lovecraft for a million years. In sure. fact, I think he's written more about Lovecraft than Lovecraft ever wrote. When he did this keynote address, he was really talking to people off the street, and it was still interesting for folks like me, who studied Lovecraft.
2: Yeah, he was trying to address how did this guy get so world famous. So here's a clip of how he set that up.
1: How did Lovecraft get to be world famous? He certainly wasn't world famous in his time. He was a man who did not publish a single book of his stories in his lifetime. Five different occasions, publishers approached him or he approached the publisher about a collection every time those negotiations failed for one reason or another. At the very end of his life, only one book, one story appeared as a separate book, The Shadow Over Innsmouth*. That it was a poorly printed, full of typographical errors, distributed only a few hundred copies. I do not doubt that Lovecraft, as he lay dying in his hospital bed at Jane Brown Memorial Hospital, not far from here, in the early morning hours of March 15, 1937, was envisioning the ultimate oblivion that would overtake his
2: work. And then after he gave us that context, he went through every decade since Lovecraft's death yeah. about how the different fans carried his work on in one way or another. He talked about Barlow at 19 years old after he'd heard about HB dying. He bust to uh, Providence from Kansas mm-hmm. to collect his papers and donate them to the John Hay Library at Brown University. Thank God he did that. That's how we have.
0: Yeah. And I, I gotta say, this: is, somebody had to be really smart at that university to get a bunch of papers from some writer that they probably didn't know, mm-hmm. and they they kept them. The yeah. guy who wrote for pulp magazines,
2: yeah, sure, we'll keep that nice and safe. And great foresight by a couple of Midwesterners. You know, I, I was glad to see Wisconsin represented when they talk about August Derleth and Donald Wandrei started Arkham House really on their own dime just to keep Lovecraft in print. We're talking late thirties, early forties, mm-hmm. and that was when the first paperbacks of Lovecraft's work started appearing around the country. I thought it was interesting when Joshi talked about this review. Uh,
1: Edmund Wilson, uh, then so-called Dean of American Critics, the leading uh, literary critic in this country, decided to review some of Loughborough's works. And his judgment was not favorable. He said, in a book review that published in the New Yorker in 1945, the only real horror in most of these fictions is the horror of bad taste and bad art. (sighs) Well, that doesn't sound very good. Well, no, Mr. Wilson may have thought he was
2: burying something. This theme started developing in my head, how Lovecraft was buried, but he's not staying buried. You'll see why, as we go on with the show, why that theme kind of developed over our weekend. Joshi's address, he talked about in the 50s, nobody gave a crap about HPL, but the first international editions started yeah, coming out. like
0: again. in Spain and France, and uh, France especially, because they were also big fans of Poe's work over there.
2: Poe was a big celebrity there before he was in America. I think France in general, they don't look down on genre fiction. In fact. I think graphic novels are even treated with the same respect as a regular novel that in France. That is that is absolutely
0: true. Yeah, there's huge and the graphic novel the quality of the graphic novels they're not superhero novels either in France. Like there's yeah. a very tiny small genre. Very tiny, insignificant. It, like, they're mostly about whatever novels would be about.
2: And so Lovecraft started being appreciated there in the 50s. Now, in the 60s, there were these Corman film adaptations and different movies of some of Lovecraft's work, like Die Monster, Die, and The Shuttered Room.
0: Keeping Lovecraft in print, because those movies would come out, and then people would think, oh, this is based on a Lovecraft story. And, it, you know, it keeps him alive and moving. Not
2: literally, obviously. The revenue that came from those movies at least kept Arkham House alive. So it mm-hmm. kept Lovecraft in print. And then in the 70s when we were born. That's the, probably the most important development of the exactly. 70s. But yeah. the horror really came into the mainstream in the 70s. Right.
0: Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, and Stephen King came on the scene in the 70s.
2: Suddenly, horror was a big deal in the literary world, and scholars started taking Lovecraft seriously. It culminated in the first world fantasy convention. That, that's still going on, but yeah. the first one was in 1975. It was held in Providence, and it focused around H.P. Lovecraft. He went through every decade. In the 80s, Robert Price was doing Crypt of Cthulhu magazine, And and Lovecraft's profile continued to rise. In the 90s, Joyce Carol Oates came out as a big fan of Lovecraft. And she's been a great advocate of his. You know, Matt Barisi has actually had conversations with her about- R. Matt Barisi? Oh, R. Matt Barisi, yeah. Wow. He's he's met her and talked to her about Lovecraft. And then the Penguin Classics editions came out. And in 2005, the Library of America released its Lovecraft collection, which really enshrines H.P. Lovecraft as a member of the American literature canon. I mean, he's up there now with Whitman and Hawthorne. Near the end of it, he talked about how in the 2000s, Lovecraft's become this media figure. And of course, we started this show in 2009, so it was nice to be part of that tradition.
0: Yeah, the internet obviously has helped Lovecraft explode. And actually, your uh, talk later in the weekend talks a little bit about that.
2: Let's listen to a little bit of Joshi's conclusion about how Lovecraft's become a world-famous figure. I thought it was a nice framing for what we were about to experience.
1: Lovecraft is now in Russia, in Estonia, in Turkish, in circulation. In Bengali, in Chinese, in Japanese, in modern Greek. Truly, Lovecraft belongs to the world. And yet, in the most fundamental sense, he remains a uniquely American, a uniquely Rhode Island phenomenon. Let us remember what is written on his tombstone at Swan Point Cemetery, not far from here. I am Providence. I am Providence. What a wealth of, 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 of meaning lies in those simple words. How profoundly they speak of La attachment to this city, its architecture, its topography, its history, now almost 400 years old, its people. La traveled up and down the eastern seaboard, from Quebec to Key West, but he always came back to province. It was not merely his home, it was his haven. His sanctuary was the only place he felt he belonged, the only place where he felt he could be the man and the writer he wished to be. And so it is fitting that we have come from the four corners of the earth to celebrate his life and his legacy. I have to believe that he be.
2: So after the keynote, we all headed over to the Athenaeum, mm-hmm. which I have to say is the coolest library I've ever been to in my life.
0: Yeah. It looked pretty amazing inside there. In fact, when I walked into it, it was what I had envisioned the library to look like for the ward. That,
2: oh, yeah, yeah.
0: That, uh, that sitcom that we did and it, it was just, it was like, wow, just stacks and stacks of books and the old architecture of it was, uh, it was just an outstanding building.
2: Well, there's a whole story about didn't Edgar Allan Poe go there?
0: Yeah. Sarah Helen Whitman lived in Providence and Poe brought her there, and there was a book that had one of his poems in there, and it was written anonymous. Like, he didn't write his name on there. And so, in the book, he crossed out anonymous and wrote his name in, Mm, and then also made some uh, addendums to the poem, because he didn't like the last stanza or something like that. And that book is still there.
2: And Lovecraft would show it to his friends when he would take him to the... So, it was a very... It was cool to be in this building where Poe and Lovecraft had both hung out. I gotta say this about Sarah Helen Whitman. She's a poet, I don't think it's fair treatment of her to say she was just some woman that Poe was courting. She's an artist in her own right. I don't know. What happened is we went up to the upper level of it, and they had two paintings of Poe and her there. And I was looking at her, and I was looking at him, and I thought, you know, her family was right. He was just some stupid old drunk. She's gorgeous. And <laughs> <laughs> She's really the hero here. So let's, let's, okay. not, be, uh, All right. let's not be too fanboy about Poe. I, I think she was the winner in that sure. arrangement. Also cool was that in the back of the library, they had a whole exhibit about Lovecraft.
0: They had the original manuscript of The Call of Cthulhu.
2: They had a thing too, of uh, Mountains of Madness notes that he'd made, which I've been seeing flying oh. around the internet.
0: But the actual ones, and they had a, a letter of his that he had written that he drew also a map of his house where he lived, it's kind of a layout of, of his home that he just did for a friend who was curious about where he lived. And it was neat to see all of his original works, like thinking, hey, Lovecraft had a pen and that ink in that pen is on that paper right there.
2: Little astronomy books that he'd made when he was a kid. Andrew talks about this in our live show, but it was a really amazing exhibit. What a fantastic place. Now, Brian Moore, who we've already lampooned here as sounding like the dude, he did such a great job with the Lovecraft Bronze Bust project, and a lot of people helped him out Yeah, on that. So he introduced all of them, and uh, he gave a very moving speech, I thought, before they unveiled the bust. It was under a dark cloth in the front of the library. Well, here's a little bit of Brian's speech before the unveiling. He, talked about, he was talking about how much effort went into creating this bronze bust.
1: As I mentioned uh, in the beginning, uh, the one thing about this project is uh, persistence of vision. I'm a humble guy, sort of. <laughs> but I'm an artist and I recognize that the world doesn't need artists, the world needs people who actively contribute things we use everyday art as luxury art is fun if you can find someone to pay you money to create your art, you're a step ahead of the game and I never take it for granted for a 2nd uh, I'll, I'll close this out with a quote from the 30th president of the United States who was alive when Lovecraft was alive and that's rather foolish. One of the things that impressed me about Lovecraft beyond being a great author was that he just never stopped. He never quit. He never let anyone discourage him. And he probably felt really discouraged just by everyday life that we all go through every single day. So I'll uh, close with uh the. silent cow coolidge's uh, words now the
2: audio isn't great when he started giving the calvin coolidge quote i thought why don't we have a reader deliver the quote that brian used in his his speech yeah. you got somebody who can do that for?
0: i him? bet i have a well this is a non-american that we use all the time good old john hancock
2: nothing in the world can take the place of persistence talent will not nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent genius will not unrewarded genius is almost a proverb Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. The slogan, press on, has solved and always will solve the problems of the human race. Wonderful quote to use to set up what we were about to see. Here was the unveiling. I mean, it's just people applauding, but I, you know, That's it was true. a really cool moment to see the uh, the bust come out.
0: We present to you, with your approval, a monument
2: it looked really beautiful yeah it was and it's, it's actual bronze
0: too that was a big thing that brian kept talking about he's kind of like yeah look it's bronze because he's never done uh, this is his first bronze sculpture that he's ever mm-hmm. done before because he works in plastics and plasters and and resins and things like that so uh, it was just amazing and to think that this bust will hopefully be around long after we are and we were there when it got it got put there
2: well it's true that we'll all be dead in a shorter amount of time than we'd like but the nice thing in the immediate future is that Chris and I I will be back next week to complete our coverage of the Necronomicon Providence. And in next week's episode, we'll be visiting Swan Point Cemetery with our pals and learning a little about what it's like to take care of an infamous author's grave. Here's the question. How large does a generator need to be to illuminate Lovecraft's grave in October? Well, you'll find out next week here at hppodcraft.com H.P. Podcraft